Um, but Chenny, welcome to you. We're so pleased that you are able to join us. And you are, in fact, the, only the second person ever to return a uh, visit to uh, give us a second Lent talk. Um, we've only ever had one person do that before, and that's Diane, who is also with us tonight, actually. So um, we're really pleased that uh, you've been able to come and do that. Because last year, in fact, your Lent talk was the only one we ended up having because um, the way things worked with the pandemic, we didn't end up having any of our other sessions. So um, it's uh, been an interesting year and we're going to reflect on that a bit together. So I'm going to say a prayer and then um, we'll crack on. So let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for one another and we thank you for this space and for this time. And we pray that you would bless us as we share it together. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, all we pray. Amen. 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 So, Chenny, hello. Welcome. Um, for folks who weren't around last year or who you know, might not have just computed all the information last time, um, tell us what you do. What's your day job? What um, keeps you occupied? Hello, everyone. Um, so my day job is head of community fundraising and public engagement at Christian Aid, uh, the international development charity. Um, so I look after the teams that look after media and PR, church engagement, fundraising, our big kind of outreach moments um, and our supporter engagement, really. That's my day job. But I've got uh, my day job um, takes up <laughs> a certain amount of time, but then I've got it feels like I've got a few other jobs on the side. So um, I'm also a writer, uh, author, a broadcaster as well. So I do a lot of um, broadcasts on um, BBC Radio 4, Religion and Ethics. So things like Thought for the Day on the Today programme, Prayer for the Day, Daily Service, and a bit of um, TV as well. Um, but I'm also on the boards of a few charities. Um, so Greenbelt Festival, Christians and Media, uh, and Christians Against Poverty. And I'm also on my church leadership team. Uh, my church is called The Bear, and it's in southeast London in Deptford. But apart from that, not a lot, really. No. <laughs> <laughs> also a mum um, of a three-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in the midst of all of that, um, what difference does the season of Lent make to you? Is it something that particularly... Uh, impacts uh, anything or does it just sort of come and go um so there have been years where I have you know really done Lent so last Lent I gave up Diet Coke um and um I was previously a few years ago involved in something called 40 Acts um in which I kind of did kind of 40 days of acts of kindness um with my neighbours and I think that Lent is always just a moment to reflect and pause uh, to take up something or put something down and see how see how long you can kind of go without something but it's about this period of of waiting isn't it and penitence and uh, a kind of um just a kind of pause and um, the thing that I have taken up this year though is um not necessarily specifically to do with Lent uh, but a bit later I started yesterday um I'm going to be running 100 kilometers in March um, not not in one go, just over over March um, to raise money for breast cancer now. So I'm kind of using that as my daily period of reflection, of pause uh, while I run so that I can take my mind off the fact that I'm running because I don't actually enjoy it. 
Okay. Uh, well, I hope that you come to enjoy it more as the uh, the month Me goes too. on. And <laughs> um, how has the pandemic impacted the work that you do with Christian Aid and indeed some of the other things, the speaking and um, the broadcasting? What kind of difference has that made? So it's amazing, isn't it, to think about how differently each of us has been impacted. So if we think about um, those who are in crowded houses, who just want some peace and quiet, those who are alone and just want someone else to to be around, the different kind of work situations that we've got um, or not. And this has just been a really interesting year um, to understand the different different situations that people are in. For Christian Aid um, and for lots of charities, it has been uh, an interesting time, um, let's say that. So uh, Christian Aid Week, which is our biggest fundraiser in which we re- normally raise around £7 million in a week, happens in May. So um, last year, obviously, we'd been locked down for a few weeks. Um, the work that we've been planning to do um, for Christian Aid Week that we've been planning for a year and a half before that, we had to completely change it because it was going to be on um, climate change in Kenya. And obviously that wasn't going to resonate um, with the UK public while we were going through coronavirus. So we very much um, changed our focus towards coronavirus response in the countries that we work in, because as much as um, COVID has impacted us in the UK, it's had a devastating impact on lots of the countries that we work in um, around the world. So some of the communities that are um, living in extreme poverty, already facing um, gender inequality, uh, debt, all those things have just been exacerbated by coronavirus. So um, we have moved a lot of our response uh, to uh, focusing on coronavirus. So if you think about um, um, some of the refugee camps that there are in the world, um, so, for example, a Rohingya refugee camp with 750,000 people in the camp. And so to talk about social distancing in a place like that, it's almost kind of impossible. So Christian Aid has been working in places like that, um, um, helping to educate on um, hygiene, but also education, educating around um, vaccines now. And once they do become available... Um, but we were really, at Christian Aid, we were really, really encouraged by the fact that our supporters really rallied um, to help us uh, during Christian Aid Week. So lots of our supporters did lots of digital fundraising and lots of churches supported us. So we were really encouraged by that. Um, and we are really grateful that we have survived and done OK the past year. Um, so so that's Christian Aid wise. Um, I think the it's really interesting to think about having um, visited your church um, a year ago, because that was, you know, probably the last event I would have spoken at before we were all locked down and how different the world felt felt then. Um, but for me, I guess the, my main reflection on the last year is, um, aside from coronavirus, it is it's Black Lives Matter. Um, it's the death of George Floyd. Um and all of the conversations that I started about about race um, and I had also uh, was about to start writing my book called God is not a white man and other revelations um, a, a year ago and I'm really glad that I wrote it over that period rather than having 
finished it before <laughs> before this all happened. Yeah, um, I wonder. Um, do you do you? Th- I know. Obviously, there's been a lot of conversation and a lot of. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the right word is. There's been a lot of conversation about uh, racial justice and Black Lives Matter and things over the last year. Do you think we're any further on a year from now, or that we've just done a lot of talking about it? What What would be your perception about where we are compared to where we were when you spoke to us about racial justice this time last year? I think we are a bit further on, actually. Um, sorry, I'm going to sneeze. I think there are some, you know, friends of mine or people who um, also talk about racial justice who who say that it's it's really about action and not talking. But I think talking is part of the solution, and I think helping people to understand the situations um, that um, Black and minority ethnic people in the UK and the UK church experience is. has the ability to just open people's eyes and to make people just think think again. I think last summer was extremely busy um, for me um, as someone who had spoken about racial justice within the church um, for a a while before that. It seemed like everyone wanted to talk about race, um, to talk about it from from a faith perspective as well. Um, to ask what the church could do. So I was involved in a lot of uh, conversations, a lot of Zooms, a lot of events and documentaries and podcasts um, in which we spoke about race. I think the George Floyd, um, George Floyd's murder was really, it, it, it was a kind of, I guess, a watershed breaking point type of moment. Um, because um, we as black people had actually been used to seeing black death um, on our screens for a long, long time. And I wonder what it was about um, George Floyd's death um, that made people notice. I think partly it was because we were all locked down and we were all um, paying attention to what was happening in that in the world and probably asking questions about about um, life um humanity you know existential questions um and the george floyd murder um and being able to see a police officer kneel on a human being's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds i think for some people um rightly found that absolutely shocking devastating and surprising as well and that's the difference potentially some of us haven't been paying attention before um so i it in a way that the conversations that has opened up over the past year um have been really um really amazing um i think that there are people who uh, black people in the uk um, and in the uk church who have been listened to both um both within a church context but on a public platforms as well in a way that they might not have been before Black Lives Matter um, protests of the last year. Mm. And how would you see um, the church's contribution to 
to that dialogue are, are we adding something to it um if it's even possible to think of the church in a sort of homogenous block kind of a way really but um is there a distinctive contribution for the church to make and are we doing a good job of making it <laughs> so i think unfortunately that the church is kind of behind um on these issues of of racial justice and one of the things that i explored quite a lot in my book is the role that the church has had over centuries in not only kind of tolerating racism but unfortunately actively um promoting it propagating it um, if you look at the American church and you look at the members of the Ku Klux Klan, they were often church ministers. If you think about um, uh, slavery, uh, colonialism, often um, often involved church leaders. Um, one of the most kind of devastating uh, moments that I found writing my book was when I um, was reading about some historic um, conversations, arguments, which were theological arguments about whether black people were beasts or made in the image of God, or whether they were humans, human beings or not. So there were these kind of theological arguments between theologians, church leaders about the nature of um, uh, black humanity. So, so the church has a long history uh, of having played a part in racism so I think we I think sometimes we assume that we've always been the good guys or on the right side when actually we need to recognize the past um, and the roles that we have played as the church and think about how all of that history um, has led to some of the situations that we are in now when you look at um, church leadership um, across uh, different denominations or um, churches, whether it is reflective of um, society, a society, the, the kind of local area or the society, um, when we think about how even God is presented, but obviously I've written a whole book about that, so I could I, I could go on, but I'll, I'll 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 stop there. There are all sorts of ways in which the church has failed. Um, so we need to recognise that past failure um, and and see what we can learn from the wider world and, and take that forward into conversations in the future. Mm. It's really interesting. We've been um, we had a couple of webinars in Black History Month last year and uh, one of our friends from Washington, D.C. joined us and they were reflecting um, as part of a project that they've been doing on, on racial justice over a number of years in D.C., I'm finding out that the founder of their church had slaves and just what a devastating moment that was and how it really caused them to to think and reflect and repent and pray in, in new ways um, from coming to understand their history um, better. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, the, the US context is a, is a bit different to the, the UK one. Um, I, I wonder whether in some... I don't know what what do you make of that is is there I I don't know I always just wonder whether it's easy or is it possible to read across um everything quite as easily as we sometimes do
do. I think the histories are a little bit different. I mean, both very important, but um, we've got our own issues, I would say, here that I think it's very easy to point a finger at the states. Um, and I think we're just better at, I don't know, hiding it, being more subtle about it or ignoring it, I guess. I don't know. Do you, is there anything in any of that, do you think? Yeah, I think there are definite differences. Um, uh, but kind of linked to that is the the special rate, special relationship between the UK and the US. And in, in, in many ways, kind of whether it's politics, um, popular culture, theology, um, there is that relationship and there is that similarity. So sometimes we, um, we adopt um, some of the kind of behaviours that um, American or America has. Um, but there are definite differences. Um, and I, I think in the UK, potentially the difference within the church context is that in the US, their kind of communities are a lot more kind of segregated in that there are um, black areas and white areas. And we have a little bit of that in, in some parts of the UK, but in general, there's a little bit more, um, uh, I guess, mixing um, between different races. However, our churches don't necessarily reflect, reflect that. Um, and I think in, in my church, for example, our church is in southeast London. It's in a very, very multicultural area of Deptford. But my church is predominantly white. Um, our leadership team is predominantly white. I'm, I'm the newest addition um, and I'm not white. Um, so we need to ask ourselves questions about why that is. Um, if, if you're in a predominantly white area, obviously it's understandable. You don't just kind of ship people in. Um, who are brown um, to be part of your leadership team. But I think that there, we need to ask ourselves the question of whether we are, our leadership teams are reflective, um, not just in terms of race, but, but gender um, and also class. Um, how can we make sure that our churches reflect um, what we um, understand the kingdom of God to be as this like wonderful place of diversity of um, the dividing wall between different groups haven't been broken down. So how do we make sure that our churches are reflected, reflective of that? Um, I think the other thing for me is that in the UK church, um, whether or not um, there is you know, any, even if there was no kind of obvious racism, if you attend a, a British church, um, you would assume that Christianity is... For white people um, at, because of the theologians that are quoted or because of the worship music that is played or um, or the assumptions that Christianity is was almost you know started in Britain and um, shared with everyone else um, when actually the average Anglican um, globally is more likely to look like me than Justin Welby. Um, so how do we recognise the, the diversity of Christianity globally um, rather than just kind of in, in the British context? Mm. Where, where do you see signs of hope in, in all of this? Or do, I mean, I should I'll probably ask, do you see signs of hope first? But 
assuming that there might be some to find somewhere, where, where do you perceive them as being? So I, I, I am really encouraged by the openness uh, of people to have these conversations um, and often in, surpri in surprising contexts. So um, I've not over the past year just spoken to people who think, who obviously think the same as me. Um, I've spoken to um, to church denominations and, and churches who who are asking, what can we do? Um, how can we understand, help us to understand, challenge us? Um, and they're not necessarily um, kind of lefty liberal Christians. <laughs> lefty liberal Christians. Um, they, yeah, in kind of potentially more conservative contexts, um, I've had some interesting conversations. So I think that that has got to lead to some change. I really hope that it does. Um, I think as it comes up to a year since George Floyd's death, I think it's a time again for us to just revisit those conversations and look back and think, well, where have we changed? Um, I think that there are practical things that we can do to um, to make sure that our churches are more representative, that we have space to um, have difficult conversations, potentially about race, and that we are opening up our kind of um, theology to welcome voices of those who aren't um, white European males. Um, so I think it will be another point in the next few months for us to kind of look back and potentially challenge again. So I'm hopeful that that those conversations again will lead to change. And is there anybody who's writing or speaking that you've maybe come across uh, in the last year that you found really interesting or helpful or anyone who, even if you were aware of them before, has become quite a key voice for you over the last year? Yeah. So um, like I said, I was really happy that I hadn't finished my book before March because it, it for many black people and black Christians, um, well, I personally went on a on a journey of devouring black theology books um, over that period, both to help me write my book, but also to help me think and understand um, from God's point of view, um, all of this stuff. And it really, that, that journey really opened my eyes. So um, I guess the key writers um, are often in the American context again, but um, but I read um, a book called The Cross and the Lynching Tree by James Cone, um, which is a devastating, <laughs> devastating but beautiful book, which um, talks about the suffering Christ um, and how uh, Christ is um, symbolised or, or, or there is empathy between Christ and the suffering black body. Um, uh, on a, uh, who, who is Lynch. So that, that was really interesting in just helping to reframe that understanding of who Jesus is, um, who Christ is, rather than the kind of um, Christus Victor, uh, the, the kind of victorious Christ, but also the suffering Christ and what does that mean um, for us. Um, and also a, uh, a book called Enfleshing Freedom uh, by M. Sean Copeland, um, who's an American black woman, American theologian, which talks about 
um, kind of black theology through um, a female lens, a woman lens. So um, those two other kind of standout books for me over the past year. Um, I could go on and on. Another one is a, a book called Jesus and John Wayne um, by Kristin Cobes de Mez, um, which uh, she's a white woman, but she really traces, um, I guess, the American evangelicalism and the kind of Trump supporting evangelicalism that we have seen back over the past few decades and, and it helps us to understand how we got there. And some of that includes our kind of understanding of race. Well, I, I certainly hadn't heard of Infleshing Freedom, so I've written that down and uh, look forward to, to coming back uh, to that. Um, so you've written a book. That's quite a thing. Well, yeah, I know you've written one already, but you've got a you've written your current book. Um, <laughs> um, uh, how did you find the process of writing that? Did you did you I know it's not I guess it's partly dependent on what you're writing about. But did you enjoy the process of writing or is it a bit of something you have to do? I <laughs> found it really painful um, to write this book. Um, the kind of practical pain was the fact that I was, you know, locked down with a toddler um, and my husband um, in the middle of a global pandemic, in the middle of Black Lives Matter and George Floyd and kind of trying to understand all of that stuff um, with a full time job and all the other things while speaking about race. So. It was kind of like, you know, writing up, you know, from 5 a.m. just to kind of have a couple of hours a day. Um, but, but honestly, I'm kind of reading through the final, final um, bit before it gets printed. And it almost feels like I didn't write it. Like I, I was in a trance or something um, because because it it probably the, the process of writing it was just kind of um, therapeutic, cathartic, just getting lots of um, lots of these thoughts out onto paper. Um, so it was it was painful. Um, I hope that there is something of God in it because I don't remember writing quite a lot of it. Um, and yeah, I just hope it it helps people. And when uh, will other people be able to get their hands on it? Uh, the 27th of May, but you can also pre-order it um, <laughs> at all good bookstores uh, online. So interestingly, the I was, you know, I had got the contract for the book before, you know, March last year, and it was always going to be coming out on May the 27th, which is um, the week of the, the first anniversary of George Floyd's death. So, you know, that was that was all kind of planned before any of that any of the Black Lives Matter protests, any of that stuff. So, yeah, interesting timing. Yeah, very much so. And will you be doing anything around the, the launch of the book? Um... Yes, so um, lots of um, events and talks planned. Um, the tricky thing is now whether whether they are virtual or in real life. So we've got um, events at Southwark Cathedral, St Paul's Cathedral and St Albans. Um, as well as a few kind of podcasts and uh, BBC interviews and TV things as well. So, yeah, thinking about what, how, whether to have a proper launch or not, <laughs> whether we should do it on Zoom or not. Are you able to share with us pre-publication sort of what the central tenets of the, 
thing might be what's the what's the thrust of, i mean obviously we're going to go out and buy copies to read it in full ourselves anyway but, <laughs> um what's the central uh, thrust of the book so the book is called um god is not a white man and other revelations um and really that is just the hook so there's one chapter um which is literally about depictions of god um as um a white man um whether that's uh, an old white man on a cloud or whether that's blue-eyed um blondish haired jesus um but really i talk about how that is problematic not just because it's false but because it reflects um a society in which whiteness is held as supreme so in a context and a, and a world in which whiteness is um represents power and goodness and beauty and all the good things then obviously god is going to be represented in that way um so it's about that but it talks uh, the book um talks about how that kind of same white supremacy weaves its way into a number of different um things including um interracial marriage um and my husband's white um into kind of depictions or uh, understandings of africa um or kind of global south countries um into uh, kind of uh, feminism um and also the church as well um and also education so it's kind of um memoir style part uh, theological commentary um reflecting on um uh, race and faith and life okay and um in terms of sort of, I guess if it's part memoir, perhaps it, you uh, perhaps already already answered my question. But um, is it is it written for people in seminaries to read, or or will the rest of us? It's accessible. Do you think? You know. Um, yeah, it's definitely plan? accessible. I'm not that clever. So it's, <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's very much um, very much my. Um, it is theology, um, but part of the in the preface to the book, I talk about the fact that. Um, I studied theology at university and I I used to approach theology like I was an objective observer of theology, whereas actually theology includes how I understand God um, or, uh, yeah, theology can't be divorced from race, gender, all those other things. So um, it, it is my kind of personal views. Um, it's It's race and faith through my um the lens of my eyes um which are a middle class um 30 something year old mum uh who thinks about race and has been in white majority church context most of my life mm. Fab, we're going to have some space for questions in a few moments so if everyone else on the zoom if you've got questions do put them in the zoom chat and then we'll we'll come um to those yes you had a birthday recently is that right as well was your birthday last week or something yeah 19th February yeah that's awesome. I must have seen that on Twitter or something <laughs> um all the best people were born in the year you were born uh it's a good good vintage from that year <laughs> um uh, whilst other folks might be thinking about some questions um I, I've got one that, to start with where you've been um speaking and broadcasting um, do you ever get uh, any kickback on some of that stuff? And um, 
how what is it like to deal with that yeah so um I used to, when, whenever I did a thought for the day, I would do a little search on Twitter to see what people were saying about it. Then I soon realised that I should not do that <laughs> because um, no matter how many positive things there are that people say, I will always only remember the, the negative. Um, there are some people who, when you're a kind of person of faith who speaks within into the mainstream, the secular, um, there are obviously going to be people who don't think that that should happen. Um, uh, so a lot of the pushback is from, uh, I guess, militant secularists um, who don't think that faith should have a, a place in, in, in mainstream. Um, I do get, I, I seem to be very easily findable online. So I do get some kind of emails, lots of people telling me their thoughts on what I've said or sharing their life or how things have resonated um, with them or not. <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah, I do get some, I do, yeah, I do quite like getting feedback, whether it's good or bad. I just try and I've learned now not to be crushed by the negative. Mm. And I guess yeah, that openness um, enables you to hear all, all the good stuff, I guess, as well. And, and that would really I know that opens up all sorts of possibilities and connections, I guess. And you, if you close off to any of it, you don't get that either. Yeah. Interestingly, like um, before Christmas, I did a thought for the day on um, the fact that vaccines aren't available to um, people in the global South as, as much as they were, they are here. And someone emailed me at my work email saying that um, my thought for the day had inspired them to start start a thing um which would help on the kind of on on that front and it turns out she has started her own organizations has spoken to um COVAX and the world world health organization has started a thing um and we've had a few conversations and we, um so it, you never know what you <laughs> what yeah. what you say might um spark so that that was that, i think that's the best one so far yeah nice <laughs> um I've got a question that's come in by text and we've got one in the Zoom chat from Jackie. So Jackie says, uh, uh, when writing your book, how did you decide on the structure? Was there anything you had to leave out but wanted to say? Um, so I'm not one of those kind of structured writers. So I don't sit down and plan the whole book and all the chapters. Um, I... I guess I do a lot of like automatic writing. So start uh, because I'm a journalist by training, I'm used to like you writing lots of short articles or reflections. I almost kind of started with that. Um, and then as you start writing some parts of it, other you have other ideas about different parts and you kind of um, put it all together and then um, and then almost create a structure from from that. Um, so so I think for me, the, the, the structure for my book, um, once I talked about kind of why I was writing the book, the God is not a white man um, thing, but then thinking about education, family, um, feminism, uh, church and violence against black bodies. That's really all I wanted to say. Um, I guess the things that are tricky and that I have left out or been a bit more vague are... Um, when you're writing, um, 
you know, about things that have just happened um, or you're reflecting on conversations that you have had with real people. Um, it, I have to make the decision to either be, you know, be brave and just write it and say it um, or um, leave it out um, in order not to cause too much trouble. So I've tried to be a bit brave in this book. <laughs> but there might there might be the odd uh, interesting story that didn't quite make it in in, in follow up. Just yeah. 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 Material for the follow up. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, Thank you, Jackie, uh, for that. Oh, OK. Well, come to my question. I've got by text here first. Um, we said, what's it like doing thought for the day? How far in advance do you get asked to do it? And do you have to prepare? Talk to us about what that's like. Oh, gosh. Um, so it's on a, a rotor. So you kind of get three dates, but, you know, probably a couple of months in advance. So I know I'm on a couple of dates in April. Um, and then I've asked to be on the 25th of May, which is the day of um, George Floyd's death. Um, but you only have a conversation with the producer of that show then the the morning before you're on. And then you've got that day to write it. Um, it's signed off and approved by 5 p.m. on that day. And then you deliver it. Um, so in the, in the old world, you would deliver it in the studio the next morning because you'd get picked up at 6am by the BBC, driven to the studio. But now we just record it as soon as it's signed off and we send it over. And then there's no kind of nerves, no, um, no presenter sitting in front of you. Um, so you sign it off by five o'clock. And there have been a couple of times in which something big has happened after five o'clock, in which case you need to then rewrite it um, okay. by the morning. Can I ask how how much guidance are you given about what you should be talking about, or are you given a pretty free hand? Um, you aren't really giving guidance. It's kind of um, you have a chat with the producer and you present your idea. Um, and when I started doing it, I would, you know, they say that you should present three ideas, um, and I used to spend a lot of time, you know creating you know framing three ideas and then saying which one do you want but now I do have a kind of sense of what I want to say and what what only I can say if that makes sense or what what I can say that others can't say um and um and I kind of look for new stories to tie that to uh and also thinking about what you know there are some things that are obvious um so it, it has to be you know, let's say the morning of Donald, after Donald Trump lost the election, it would have had to be on that, that kind of thing. Um, but they're, you know, the, the BBC are quite strict on some things, so I can't, <laughs> there are, you can have, I often like write things and then it has to be changed because of editorial guidelines and code and whatnot, and not being biased. Oh, indeed. Against um, certain political parties. <laughs> yeah. Um, Okay, uh, Lana's put a question in the chat. Thank you, Lana. So a lot of the incredible books I've read or on my list are intended for adult audiences or are pretty academic. Um, do you know, um, or there are brilliant children's books. Um, do you know of any books, resources that might be helpful for sort of young people, teens? I guess this is particularly with an eye to, to racial justice. Um, 
I think there aren't enough, um, and I probably don't know that many. I, I know that David Olashoga, who wrote Black and British, um, has produced a, it might be a children's book rather than a young people's book, but um, a younger version of that. And there's also a book um, called uh, Parable of a Brown Girl, um, which is um, by someone called, I think her name's Kristen Lauren Adams or something. Um, and that seems to be aimed at younger black women. Um, so that might be one to look out for. Great. Okay. Always love a good book recommendation. Uh, mm-hmm. My thing for Lent is I'm not allowed to buy any books. So I just write lists and lists. And uh, <laughs> um, Okay. Uh, I've, I don't think there's any others in the chat. If anybody else has got one, do add one in there. Um but my final question is, uh, what can we be praying for you? Um, uh, can I just say, first of all, that I'm, I know that we only met <laughs> last year, but I'm really just encouraged by your church being open to having this conversation. I think, um, just just want to say thank you for having these conversations and being open to different voices um and it's just good to be back as well and so thank you for having me um how can you pray for me it's it's i guess in all the busyness um my day job is very 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 busy um but alongside that there's all the other kind of busy stuff so um it's all going to be ramping up in the next few weeks as well with a book so i guess just um sense of peace wisdom um and courage to say no (laughs) um we will pray in a moment we've got a question from hannah and whilst we've got a question from hannah hannah and i shared a moment on twitter over the weekend where there was a picture a diagram flowchart of do i have time to take on this if you saw that one yeah (laughs) yeah hannah thinks i should have that on my wall uh, anyway, uh, Hannah's question uh, what's your next project now you've finished your book or do you intend to have a well-deserved break so really it actually feels like um, so the writing the book was a project um, but editing the book and finalising it is another project and then promoting the book is another project so I feel like I haven't I haven't finished yet um, and it's probably going to get you know these next few weeks are the really busy ones um do I intend to have a well-deserved break I don't know that would be nice actually um (laughs) um yeah maybe a couple of days I think (laughs) a couple of days from not doing anything I'll try that (laughs) in June June. yes when you can actually go and do something with your time off Yeah. yeah Fab. Well, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We really appreciate you giving up your time. Um, but we'd love to pray for you. Um, so let's let's do that now, if that's all right. Yeah. Uh, gracious God, we thank you for this time and this space. And Lord, we thank you so much that uh, Chinny's been able to come and join us and share with us. And Lord, we thank you for what we've been able to uh, hear and reflect on in this time this evening lord we pray for these next uh, few weeks uh, for chinny and for her family amidst all the busyness of what lies ahead we pray uh, lord that there would be 
moments of lightness and joy amidst the challenges. We pray that there would be a deep-rooted peace throughout it all. And we pray, Lord, that you'd bless her with a deep courage, uh, Lord, that enables her to speak even when it's scary and that enables her to not speak uh, when that's scary too. Would you help her in all those decisions, we pray. Lord, we look forward to reading the book, but we pray too that uh, it would be a real blessing to all sorts of people, uh, Lord, and would uh, be another thing that turns the dial and brings change. Uh, Lord, in these things we pray in Jesus' name.